this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he's Robin Brownlee. We are going to talk about a couple of things on this one today. We're going to talk about why Edmonton is not a FIFA city. We're going to take a look at the Elks. Ouch, that one was painful. Also going to talk about the Western Hockey League final. I went over the weekend. The These two teams are great. They're not good, they're great. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But joining us right now is Canadian sports broadcaster, journalist, and author, Bruce Dobegan. How are you? How are you? It's been a while since I was kicking you under the table at the fan. I I know. I was just thinking about that on the drive in this morning that I think I was only on the air for maybe the first couple of weeks in Calgary at Sportsnet 960, the fan, and you were my co-host for a week. We had a lot of fun. It was a blast. It's great to have you back. We haven't talked enough over the last little while, but thanks for joining us today. Lots of great stuff to talk about, but I got to get right into it. I saw an article by you this past week talking about Hockey Night in Canada. It's something that quietly I've been concerned about, but you focus in on Kevin Bieksa. Do you want to tell everybody about that? Well, uh, I was at CBC for 15 years in Toronto on air t- there. And so working side by each with the, uh, with the uh, Hockey Night Canada people. And then for about five years, I did the, uh, the TV and media column at the Globe and Mail. And so that was my focus. And, and you know, those are the Don Cherry years. And uh <laughs> I'm, I'm a free speech guy, so I've never been about taking people off the air. My problem with Hockey Night in Canada was that there was only one editorial slant you'd take, and that was Don. And if you tried something else, he'd start yelling at you. And, and it, was, it was like Grandpa Simpson TV for a long time, you know, shaking a fist at the clouds and all that sort of stuff. And, and nothing kind of got done in mo- modernizing the editorial. The, the technical stuff got better and better. As, as you guys know, they do fantastic stuff with their video uh, and, and audio. They, they're always working on making things better, but they never got past it. And the point of my column is now with Don gone, we finally have the guy who I think is changing the tone of, of, of the show, who's, who's making the show be able to laugh at itself and each other. And I don't mean Don, Ron's silly little puns. As I say, goodbye, Mr. Chips is what he's doing <laughs> on the show these days. But, but a guy who's kind of hip, who young people uh, can, can, can sort of uh, understand. They know him from his, his playing days. Uh, my wife thinks he's a funny guy and he dresses well, etc. And I said, this, this is the change in tone for Hockey Night that I've been waiting for for a long time. It, it's incisive, it's funny, uh, and, and uh, he's going to be a huge star. That, that's interesting, Bruce, because, I mean, we're all of a certain age where Cherry was just the way it was done uh, for the longest time. You aren't the first guy, or maybe Bryn or I, based on our birth certificate, to say, yeah, this BX is pretty good. I like him. Yeah. So what about the change that he brings do you like? 
I like that he engages the other people. For instance, Elliot Friedman can tend to be a little bit stiff and, and, and a little bit of an acquired taste. And somehow he's gotten a thing going with Kevin Bieksa where they, they tease back and forth and they insult each other a little bit. Uh, he's, he's Jen Botterill, I think, has really been comfortable on the set with him, where I've seen her with other people. She's not been comfortable as comfortable or made comfortable, I guess. Uh, he, he the, the tone he gives you is, you know, you're going to get it straight from I, I, I spent six years covering the Canucks doing a book when Mike Gillis was the general manager there. And so I saw a lot of Kevin and came to like him and came to appreciate what he was in the room. And, and to answer your question in a short version, I would say that what he's doing on hockey night is what he used to do in the room with the Canucks and then later the Ducks. He's, he's a guy that relaxes everybody. He's a funny guy, uh, etc. And uh, you guys know as well as anybody how important that is to any team. And a broadcast group is a team too. It's really amazing how you, I don't want to call it shortcutting, it's getting right to the meat and potatoes. Some guys just make it look effortless, and I think he's doing that. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing to do on TV is look natural. When I first started out on TV, I didn't have a lot of experience in Toronto. And I think it was the, the Globe and Mail or the Star guy said, I look like a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> just sitting on somebody's <laughs> knee. And I was, of course, upset and shocked. But what I understood was, and I went to my, my boss and I said, how do I look more natural? I, it, that was at the time when David Letterman was starting. And I said, how can you be as relaxed on air as David Letterman? What do I have to do to at least be natural and feeling? And, and over time, it came along that I felt comfortable and and felt able to control the thing and not in, in you know not not a, a victim of the teleprompter and all that sort of stuff. And he's clearly got a, a kind of a a tone and and a comfort level with cameras. And again, he's been he's been in front of them for a long time. People coming in and getting him in dressing rooms and doing little hits. He, he did some hits while he was a player as well. But yeah, to come in that soon as a jock. And be able to just look at what happened to Drew Brees when they brought him onto the NBC broadcast, right? It, it all looked so right, and yeah. he was stiff as a board. Who, who was the tight end that they had? They had the tight end they brought in too, and he was on Monday Night Football. That was a disaster. So there's there's nothing that says a guy who's who's funny and kind of witty uh, away from the camera is going to be good on camera. And, and again, Bryn, you know you know how hard that is to feel in control and not look like you're sweating. Bruce, I got to ask you because you're talking about some of the names that have come into the broadcast business. Your take on Wayne Gretzky and what he's doing now. I find it painful, really. I, I don't think Wayne has anything to has anything to really add. He's, he, as you know, he's look. Wayne is never going to rip into people, and from time to time, you have to be able to say something slightly critical. He looks. He looks like a guy who's who's looking at his watch and saying, how much more time do we have till I can get out of here? And, and look, I, I forgive him a lot of stuff because of his position. It's not a winnable position being in the, 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 the guy he is, the greatest hero in Canadian history. It's a lot. It's a huge burden for him to carry. But I'm not seeing much out of him. And frankly, I don't think uh, Chelios and the other guys who he's been on the set with have helped him get out of that either. Uh, is it Tony Bruno who's the host? I think it's a Tony Bruno, right? Uh, oh, man, I've gone blank. Um, uh, oh, I've gone blank on, on the host. Uh, Anyhow, he's anyway, trying. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's trying, but Gretz just, he's never been a natural with it, and, and I don't think he ever will. Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, they always talk about how some of the superstars cannot coach. Yeah. Not everybody can broadcast. They think it's going to be pretty simple. Mess on the other side on ESPN actually has been quite refreshing 
it, yeah. but but Mark's never had a problem saying anything about somebody and pissing somebody off. <laughs> That's true. That's right? true. He's 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 been better, and he's always had yes, been been more approachable, and and he seems to want to be in front of the camera. And again, Wayne never really wanted to be in front of the camera. He just wanted to play hockey and. You know, maybe, maybe he's just thinking of how much money Pauline is spending and why Dustin had to go over to the LIV tour to be able to afford her. <laughs> hey, b- back to the Hockey Night in Canada thing. They've got an opportunity yes. here this summer to retool this thing, to try to bring it into the 1990s, as, yeah. as somebody told me once. Yes. Do you think they'll do it? Um, I think they're going to have to look at it hard because it will mean taking time away from Kelly Rudy, who's been a favorite of theirs. Um I'd, I'd almost be in favor of a, a maybe three person, even a two person uh, panel as, as the core of the show, as the core of the intermissions. I, I think that BXA can do it. I would say three people, though, would, would be fine. The, the other nut to crack is what do you do about Ron? I mean, you know, he's he's been a lost soul since the, the Ron and Don thing disappeared. And, you know, with the puns and all that sort of stuff. I think they have some hard questions to answer about him and giving him a role that gets him out of the studio. Uh, maybe David Amber becomes that guy. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure whether David has the, has the star power. He's a good interviewer. He's a good host guy, but I don't know if he has the star power, but anyhow, you, you, your point is well taken. They got some serious choices to make about Ron, about, about Kelly. Uh, Kelly is obviously doing a lot of work with the flames, but I, he loves doing the national stuff. So, you know, how politically would you approach him? Interesting. No, Bruce, I'm wondering this. We've got, we had Harner Ryan sing on here on the podcast and we really enjoyed him. He's a delightful guy. I don't know yeah. that his, his call has won everybody over yet, uh, but I think he's, he's getting better. Then he, we've got a, a, an influx of, uh, of women on the panels, uh, whether it's the CFL, whether it's the NHL, there's some some uh, people who've been brought in that I really enjoy, and and other ones not so much. Just like if they were guys, some guys right. you like, and some guys aren't so good. Where do you think that's going with the diversity and inclusivity? Because it's not a fad; it's not something that you right. just pay lip service to. Where are we going with that? Well, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Harner Ryan. I, I remember him back in the days when he was hanging around the Saddle Dome uh, doing his Punjabi broadcast and everything. He's always wanted to do this. Uh, I think he's there. I think he he's, he's, hasn't developed his own voice yet. But, yeah. but I think he's there competently, professionally calling the games. A little too many cliches, et cetera. But that's, you know, you're, you're young. you got to find your voice. So I'm, I'm willing to give him the time it takes to find his voice. I think he has a good tone in his voice. I think he has a good announcing voice. We, we've put a lot of guys on. Dave Randorf has, has a little bit of a speech impediment. I mean, we put him on the air and made him into a star. Uh, obviously, uh, Chris Cuthbert has a very high-pitched voice. Uh, some You know, it takes getting used to. And, and the other part is... Uh, that we, we have to get used to them as, as, as listeners. Yeah. And, and when, when you've had somebody around for 25 years yeah. to switch over to somebody, there's always that, oh, my God, you know, who's that, right? The other thing, too, and I find this not only with television but with radio, is that I don't think we're coaching talent very well, if at all, to the point where you Harner Ryan got thrown into that position. He'd been doing stuff, but when Jim Houston kind of backed away really quickly because of the pandemic, he got thrown in there. I don't think anybody really worked with him, but no. I can tell you one thing. I, I watched really carefully this series between the Rangers and the lightning that he and Louis LeBrusque were doing out of MSG. He called one game and I went, 
wow, he's just now starting to find what I think is the is his uh, his level, his, his identity. I thought he called a great game at MSG not long ago last week. But I, I'd like to think that somebody is consistently working with these guys, but I don't see it. I don't see anybody really working with the guys on the panel. There's got to mm. be somebody who's programming and coaching, and I think that that's disappeared from the media completely. Would you agree with that? Well, on the panel part, I think that that a lot of the people who run that show are are, are have been spooked by the the cherry years. You weren't allowed to go near it. It was it was what it was. You didn't say anything, and I think that culture got around of letting people do th their own thing. And and I think the public would be surprised by how many people who are on the air who are getting no coaching, who are you know who come up from a broadcast school maybe, but are getting no coaching from the professional people there. One of the things is too, of course, is you're doing a game every second night it's not an easy chance to, to coach people but but yes they we we need more of that and here's the other thing about broadcasting for those guys is they have become clip machines they're they're being told well look this, these videos and this this audio is going to be around for a long time we need you to hit these goals we need you to give us big announcing uh for those moments so that when we run it for the umpteenth time on a highlight program it sounds good at three in the morning right yeah and 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 that that preoccupies some of these guys that they're always thinking of what's the hit, the hit shot. It used to be that you thought of one like Tom cheek, you know, touch them all Joe. And you only had one or two of those in your career. Now they want you to give four or five of those a night. And, and so technically I think that's a problem for a lot of these guys who are starting up. That's interesting. You touch on that, Bruce. I, I remember uh, growing up in Vancouver I'd listen to Jim Robson calling the, Can <laughs> the Canucks games. <laughs> and I always thought he was great because he did one thing. He would always repeat the player's name after he said it the first time. Ivan Halinka scores. Halinka. And that was just one of those little things I thought was cool. I was a kid. I was 12. Yeah. But um, And then, you know, covering the Euler beat, traveling beside Rod Phillips for many years. Oh, Rod's the greatest. I love him. And when Jack Michaels took over, I thought this Michaels guy, I don't like his call. I just, I, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Half the time it's because it's different. And I think then what you're used to, I think we need different, don't we? Sure. Decompression. And you were mentioning about women and stuff like that. I have no problem with the, with good women sports casters. I mean, Susie Colbert, I can, I can make a list of, of them who yeah. are as good as anybody. Yeah. But I don't like having anybody forced on me so that we can do a checkbox either. Don't tell me that you have to have you know, half a dozen women and half a dozen men. If, if the, the women aren't up to doing the call or the men aren't up to doing the call, stop with the, with the, with the, the ratio stuff, let the talent be, be there and go with it, you know, go with the talent that works. That's, that's, you know, one of the things that I would say. And the other, the other thing about all of the announcers, the Danny Galvin's, I grew up in Montreal and Danny Galvin, of course, uh, Bill Hewitt in Toronto. And you're, you're yeah. talking about Jim and Vancouver. We have to remember that in those days, they might do two TV games a week, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it was a very different thing. They weren't on the air four or five times a week the way they are now. And it's, it's, the demands on them are, are very different than they used to be. And they could afford to maybe uh, do things differently. And, uh, you know, I've, I've probably written the column about five or six times about, you know, all sports. When are we going to get away from calling radio on TV? Yeah. Oh, yeah the point you made about Jim Robson is so great that he's telling you the name of the guy who's got the puck or who threw the, the, the pitch or whatever it is. 
I can see all those other things. I don't I don't need you to describe and he dumps it into the other zone. I saw him dump it into the other zone. Don't waste. Don't do, you know, verbal diarrhea just because you think you have to fill the time. I, I, that's why I love baseball is it, it actually can breathe. Yeah. It's a different game, obviously, but, it, you know, the, it can breathe. And I think you can let hockey breathe more than it does now and still have that t- that tension. So when I was doing games in the Western Hockey League, this would have been the late 80s. I used to send tapes to Winnipeg. Kurt Kielbach, who was the longtime voice of the Winnipeg Jets, would send me maybe once a month some stuff to work on. And one of the things that he always said was, don't be afraid on radio to let the crowd be with you. In other words, if there's a goal scored, back off for five seconds or so. You don't have to fill that time all the time. Let the crowd be part of the show. I also, uh, well, another classic example, Kirk Gibson knocks that incredible home run for the L.A. Dodgers. Vin Scully didn't talk for a minute and 43 seconds. There's yep. nothing wrong with a little silence and let the crowd speak. Yeah. Yeah. The fans, the fans are part of the show. And, and again, we can see all these things on TV. You don't have to describe the leafy tendrils of, 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 of Wrigley field and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I can see that stuff. I have one guy who once in a while mentions it, but the, the broadcasters don't have to do that. And, and yes, we're getting better with audio to, to me. And, and again, I've written to this column recently in my, on, on my, my uh, website, not the public broadcaster. I've written about this idea of we need to go to my goal would be full audio where we can hear everything, where we can hear the referees. If you watch, if you watch the, the, the world cup of rugby, they have the referees mic. And when they're talking to the video review people, you can hear what they're saying. You can hear what they're saying to the players, et cetera. I think that's the final frontier for broadcasting. And it would also allow the broadcasters to back off and not feel they have to fill everything. I'd love to be able to hear, you know, you pay $10 a month extra and you get everything that the coaches say on the bench, et cetera, all that's part of your audio package. It's, 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 it's there. It's waiting for somebody to do it. Bruce, you mentioned the way some, I guess the business has changed where, Broadcasters feel they have to have all these snippets, all these clips. They have to call a game in a series of clips that stand on their own. Um, It can be somewhat stilted and set up like that. I've got a bit of a bias because I I traveled with them for many years. What I liked about Rod Phillips as a broadcaster was that there was the raw emotion in his voice that you'd get from a fan. It wasn't always slick. He'd sometimes stammer. He'd sometimes, his voice would break. Um, and he was like a, somebody in his, his living room watching the TV and fist pumping as he was watching uh, the game. Who brings that for you? Who do you listen to as you've been a professional at this, but there's always some fan left in us when you listen to and you go, damn, that's good. Well, because radio and TV are different, right? You can. And and Rod was a product of radio. They all were products of radio. And in radio, you had to push the emotion. You had to fill that because people were driving around in a car late at night, listening and through the scratchiness of the signal, etc. You had to bring it. Uh, on TV, you don't have to bring it as much. Um, obviously, Gus Johnson, the, the football and bra- uh, basketball announcer with Fox, he's the quintessential emotion and knowing how it's like an opera with him when he goes yeah. to reach for high C and you know, all those times. I, I really like that. But I, I don't need my TV announcers to necessarily 
do the passion thing. There's, um, I didn't think of it beforehand. I should have written down the names of, of the people I like, the Kevin Harlins and, and the people who I listen to all the time who, who know how to modulate and get in and out of the emotion. And then, you know, I was in Toronto for a long time. And of course, listen to Joe Bowen on the radio. And Joe is 11 on the volume meter all the time. There's never any back yeah. off of it. I like to see, you know, and, and again, you know this, Bryn, from, from doing all this stuff. Give them a little bit of this, but also give them a little bit of that. And don't make it all of one thing. I was told to change gears on radio. That you, you needed to have another gear to get to. And, and I yeah. also remember Bob Costas. I don't know if he was talking to and if he was interviewing somebody or whether he was being interviewed. And somebody asked him, did he prefer radio over television? And he said, look, they're completely different. In radio, I'm given the entire canvas and I have to paint the entire picture by everything I say. In television, yeah. I had to remember that the picture is already there. The canvas is already painted. I just have to give it captions. And yeah. he said he preferred radio because he said he enjoyed the entire, the entire painting procedure. It was fun for him. Yeah. But we just seem very, it seems very confusing now the way television is doing simulcast, which I'm against. I hate it. I hated yeah. it when I was in Winnipeg on the radio. Kurt Keelback, once again said that he would always, he didn't want to ever discount the radio listener because he was doing a TV game. He always wanted yeah. to make sure that somebody listening in their car could understand it as much as somebody watching it at home. But it's just, we're going into a weird area. Well, for example, now we have the two Manning boys on Monday Night Football yeah. just basically shooting the shit. Yeah. And I'm kind of enjoying that. That's an interesting innovation. You've been probably watching a little bit of that. And I'm sure you have a thought I wrote or two. a column about it. Yeah. I wrote yeah. a column about it. I love it. I, 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 again, it's, it's the future of broadcasting. It's not, it doesn't have to be the only thing, but it can be part of the things that they offer. And, and, and this idea that one size fits all that's again, that goes back to radio days. You're, you're talking about, about that. Uh, I worked uh, radio, I worked TV and I worked print. And if I had one medium, I would be on, I would say it would be radio because of a lot of the things you just said that you, you get to create a canvas. Uh, first of all, we all look good when we're on radio. Yes. <laughs> we're very handsome when we're on radio, uh, but you can, you can draw those pictures and you can, and people can use their own imaginations to, to see your show through the radio. And you, it's, I'm sure you had this experience, but you get people who, who have very different impressions of, of your show and the people on the show and, and things that happen just because it's their own personal way of seeing it. Uh, the TV says, that's what it is. There he is. There she is. That's all you got. You know, and they, there's, there's no imagination in looking at you. Uh, and and uh, you just sit there and read the auto cue and hope to get through it, right? It's different. So I, as I say, if, if I had my preference, I, I'd be on radio. And to me, the, to me, the best guy on radio, this is not, this is not a play-by-play -play guy, but the best guy on radio for sports radio in this country that's ever been has been Bob McCown. Bob understood radio, sports radio better than anybody. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I was on his show a few times. We had a couple of times where we crossed swords, whatever, but, but he understood how to get things, use radio. Uh, I said, one of the reasons I thought a lot of the Toronto teams were bad for so long is because they kept listening to Bob and Bob criticizing them. Oh, we got a problem here. We got to do something in the Leafs and the Argos and all those teams, et cetera. So in terms of radio and sports radio, uh, Bob's, you know, he's still doing, I guess he's doing a podcast on serious radio, but uh, I st still think he's one of the best. There's one other key word for me, cadence. Yeah. And, and that's essential. Bob Cole, as much as I think he probably could have packed it in a little bit earlier is, is legendary. He is such a rhythm of how he did broadcasting. Yep. The really good guys. You mentioned Danny Gallivan, same sort of thing. 
You look down to the U.S. I still, Sam Rosen, I had a chance to talk to in the elevator here briefly for a couple seconds, had that certain cadence about him. Howard Cosell back in the day was creative and had a cadence about him. All these guys, it's all, when you're talking about television and radio, it's all about how you just present, right? Who's, who, who's, who was better with cadence than Marv Albert? Oh, and Marv, yes. Marv, Marv could do both basketball and hockey. Which are have very different demands, and and he had that ability to you know that staccato kind of style. Yeah, pad saving a beauty by Jockham. I was like ten years old growing up in Montreal, and we could get the New York radio stations, and we'd listen to him do the hockey games and pad saving a beauty by Jockham. He just had those expressions, and and he's he's I guess he's retired now. And then of course his son, yes, and I guess his nephew are also on the air, and they're pretty good too. Kenny's pretty good too. Yeah, he does. He calls a fine game, so. And it's, Ian Eagles, another guy I like a lot. Although I don't understand why he's Ian. It's Ian. Come on, get with it. <laughs> it's interesting. All our ears seem to hear differently. Oh, I guess we we can agree on some people that are universally thought of as as terrific. Bryn mentions Howard Cosell. Very distinct rhythm, Robin. We all the, know for, Howard Cosell. For yep. the most for the most part, because I grew up an Al Muhammad Ali fan. I thought Howard Cosell was terrible. I thought he was a clown. I enjoyed it when, when Ali did the, I'm going to pull your two payoff bit during an interview. Yeah. Uh, but the, but yet down goes Frazier sticks in my mind. And yeah. it's one of the best, it's one of the simplest, most it's the best nasally call I've yep. ever heard in my life. You never forget it. Right. Yeah. He, he only did play by play. I think in boxing, he was, he was the color guy on, on, on all sorts of sports, obviously yeah. Monday night football and baseball, but it, that was the only one he did. And he's such, and we, we talked about uh, a minute ago about Marv Albert, such a creation of New York though. You know, New York is a, you know, it's a big, go big or go home kind of town. Yeah. And Howard understood that about himself. He was a homely kind of lurch looking guy. How was he going to get to the top? And he figured out his whole thing was to be snidely whiplash, to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> as you said, Robin, when it came to those moments, boy, he had the right, he had the right calls and he knew how to do it. champ. He'd always get in there and say champ. And he'd get close to him. And, and the, and the public saw the yeah. uh, Ali through uh, Cosell, which is a very yes. unlikely thing considering Howard and, and some of his other peccadillos. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's flip the gears a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your writing ability, which uh, I mean, how many books have you written so far? Uh, this is 10, I think. Wow. Let's 10. talk about the new one, which is in exact science. And uh, it, uh, the most fascinating thing about it for me initially was looking to see who you wrote it with. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote it with my uh, eldest son, uh, Evan. He's uh, works for TSN in Toronto. He runs their social media site, the Stat Center. Uh, he's always been a rain man. And uh, when I was doing books on my own, he was my researcher because I always knew Evan knew everything. So even when he was 14, I'd call him up and say, Evan, which year was it the cherry won the coach of the year? Was it 78? No, no, it was 77 and 78. He lost to so-and-so by seven votes or whatever. He always had that in his head. So uh, we've, we've looked forward to the day to work on a project. And I would say this is, this book is a labor of probably about 60% of him and about 40% of me. And uh, we, we came up with this idea and uh, our friends at ECW said, yeah, let's roll with it. 
And of course, as we head to the draft now, it's really it's it's called the six most compelling drafts in NHL history. And for your fans, uh, obviously, the, the 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 year that Gretzky was never drafted is one of the draft years that we talk about because you had the whole thing about Gretz being able to avoid the draft, but then you had all the WHA guys coming in at the same time. It was it was that in 2003 are probably the most remarkable drafts for talent ever. So for people who want to pick up the book, there's a lot in there about that year and. And you, you, you still have to give Pocklington credit for how he managed to brazen his way through and hang on to Gretz. Wasn't it a backgammon game? I keep telling the 15-year-old in our house, I think the only reason that the Oilers got Wayne Gretzky was because Peter won a backgammon game. You they, that say that. they say that. They say that he, those guys, he and Scalvania were goofy that way there's 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 no doubt about it yeah uh, but yes uh, there was also <laughs> you guys have heard these stories a hundred times because you're in edmonton but that idea that they get on the plane and and nobody's telling them are you going to winnipeg are you going to edmonton and this whole yeah. thing is decided while they're in the plane right and uh gretz is trying to figure it out and so is eddie mio and and, and i've forgotten who the third person was peter there. driscoll anyhow they don't even know where they're going but it, it's it's an interesting year too because of course that was also the year to get gretz into the league that they had to allow 18 year olds yeah and yeah. That, that had never been before the the previous chapters that we did on mario 1984 and on Guy lafleur and marcel dion which is 1971 that was still, you had to be 20 years old to get into the NHL. And Gretz changed. He was so great a player that they had to change the age requirement for playing in the league. And uh, obviously, Mess came in that year, Kevin Lowe. Uh, just a fantastic group of people who came in. And we, we tried to just choose five, six years that, that were all representative of something. Uh, one of the years was the year of the Red Wings, of course, in 1989, when they drafted the Russians. That changed hockey forever. We thought that was a significant one. We chose 2005 with uh, with uh, Sidney Crosby over 2003 because we, we think that uh, Sidney has had more enduring impact on the draft uh, than the 2003 year. But it was it was just lots of fun, lots of stories. My son's a Habs fan. I probably had to cut out about 50,000 words about Habs. <laughs> I said, Evan, I said, not everybody, not everybody's as obsessed as you are. I tell you, I wish I wish you could include being that Canucks fan I've talked about. I remember the Canucks draft a little wheel, like cheesier than any fi- anything you'd find on the K Days fairway at the at the uh, uh, you know at the circus. They spun this little wheel, and Buffalo got Gilbert Perrault, yep. and, and Vancouver got Dale Talon. Well, how did that play? How did that play? I know who I know who's the better executive, yes. but the better player was not close. And that town lived with that for a lot of years when the separation was pretty distinct. There's been a few of those number two. Well, Marcel Dion turned out to be a pretty good number two pick. The Canadians, yeah. and, and we, we say in the book, that in fact, Sam Pollock nearly came up with both guys on draft day. Detroit was willing to take a handful of pucks and Terry Harper and I think, and a goalie, a Phil Mir, uh, for the second round, the second pick overall. The Canadians could have had Marcel Dion and Gielefler. In any event, uh, there's all those there's all those kinds of stories. But as a, a guy, again, who's from Vancouver and the 89 draft, the Red Wings are fully intending to take Pavel Burry. Right. And there was some debate on the, on the Red Wings d- desk about, well, should we choose any more Russians? This is getting silly. This is getting crazy, et cetera. And they said, okay, next, next round we'll pick it. And then of course, Mike Penny, 
uh, stood up and told Brian Burke and said, we're taking this guy and we're going to fight the league because I know he qualifies. And uh, it was a long, took a long time to finally get Pavel Lear there. Uh, Pat Quinn got involved. There's all sorts of stuff that went on. But yeah, it's a great story and it's a lot of fun to read, I think. Anyhow. The other thing too, 2000 in Calgary, it, we all knew the two Sedins would probably get picked up by Brian Burke. It was all the story and the backstories I was hearing when in Calgary from the Wednesday right through to the draft, yeah. how are they going to do this? How are they going to get this done? How Are the twins going to be able to be split up? Will they be effective? That was quite a fun draft for me to cover, too, the, the 2000 yeah. in Calgary. Yeah, and of course, it was also the year that the Flames had fired their general manager. I'm trying to remember, was it Nick Palanek? Somebody had been fired, and, and they had Ian McKenzie stand in and do the draft. And of course, I think the Flames had the eighth pick. And they took uh, the goalie, uh, Brent Cron, and of course that was a disaster. He didn't, he didn't oh, turn out, etc. Great guy, uh, but you know, yeah, yeah, at very good. When, as you know, on a on a rainy day in Calgary, when you needed a hockey guy, he'd come in or he'd, yeah. he'd be available and he'd talk your ear off. He was, he was always pretty good. But uh, that was that was an interesting draft that way. And and you know, this is not about drafts per se, but one of the the great fallacies in in our in our business and with fans is, oh yeah, those Sedins, how soft they are. And as I say, I spent six years yeah. covering that team, uh, and they are the toughest two guys to put up with what they put up with, to to be able to produce in spite of all that sort of stuff. Just 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 fantastic. And as as BX once said, hey, you know, somebody said, why do you th- think they're sexy? Come on, two redheaded guys who hang out together all the time. What could be more sexy, right? <laughs> who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bruce, that 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 two thousand. A draft is also notable uh, from this end where Brent and I are. Um, you know, Glenn Sather had grown tired of the uh, belt tightening and the penny pinching uh, in Edmonton, and yeah. off he went. And in steps uh, uh, Kevin Lowe. Uh, awful big change of that draft, too. Yeah, it was. You never want to be the guy who follows the guy. Yeah. You want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy. That's yeah. always that's always the way. And uh, well, apropos of, of Glenn and books, uh, I did a book, 1993, I came out, it's called Of Ice and Men. And I decided uh, that we were going to do a book about the skill of hockey, just talking about skill. So yeah. I picked a forward, which is Steve Eisenman, a defenseman, Chris Chelios. The goalie was Dominic Hoshik, and the executive was Slats. And so uh, I remember going to the draft in Buffalo, and that was the year they drafted the Swiss Miss and hang, hanging out with the, with Glenn at that point. And by that point, Glenn was bored. He didn't have enough money to do what he wanted to do. Uh, he wanted to go big time, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a very uncomfortable thing monitoring. And they kept turning to me and saying, well, how much am I getting out of this book? How much are you paying me for this? <laughs> I said, Glenn, I'm just a journalist. I'm just trying to do a story. But anyhow, he was, uh, <clears throat> and I sat with him for a whole game and he tried to stifle himself, but there was some good stuff in there about a few of the Oiler players who were, who were something less than productive. Was that Michael Reeson? Is that who the, yep. is that the Swiss Miss? Okay. The Swiss Miss. Yes, it hey, it's going to be a fun read for me over the summer. Uh, looking forward to that. Let's talk about some other stuff as well. Go the ahead. Calgary Arena situation. Is this turning into a mess? You're there. Well, I, anybody who thinks we're going to see an arena in this city in the next two or three years, it's not going to happen. Okay. Murray Edwards, who is the principal owner of the of the Flames now, there are there are other owners, but Murray's the principal owner and the one who makes the decisions. Uh, he's basically de- declared uh, a war with the new mayor of, of Calgary, uh, Jody Gondek, and uh, 
The stuff I'm hearing is that now they're looking at going back to the original site on the west side of town for people who know Calgary. If you're looking north, you've got the downtown and the west uh, side is on your way out to Canada Olympic Park. And there's uh, car dealerships and a few things there. So on the Bow Trail, that's on Bow Trail, right? On the Bay Trail, yeah. That seemed to be the site they were talking about for a long time. There was something about creosote in the ground. Maybe they couldn't do it. And then the mayor at the time uh, insisted that they needed it in the the east end of the city to complete his his wonderful vision of the city. But all those things are off the table now. And And I think we seriously have to consider the possibility that the Flames may not stay in, in, in Calgary. I mean, this is all uh, Murray Edwards. If Murray decides he's bored and wants to get out of this thing, because he doesn't even live in Canada most of the time now, but if he decides he's bored, I, I don't know who takes up this team. I don't know what person in Calgary takes up this team and necessarily keeps it here. Houston will love to have a team. Uh, I, I think we're back in that, in, in that realm again. Bruce, I wanted to ask you about something you've written recently. Um, and today it's appropriate, I guess, because, uh, Miko Koskinen of the Oilers officially signed with Logano in Switzerland today. He's oh, out yeah. of it. He's one of the, he's the six foot seven monolith. Uh, you yeah. talked about big, you wrote an item about big goaltenders and yeah. the impact and how the big goaltenders have won and changed the game. Um, the good big goaltenders, yes. He did, have a, he did have a contract offered earlier, but it went between his pads, but that's just oh. what I heard. Hey, oh, oh, it's an old joke, but I still love using it. <laughs> yeah, talk I, about, I, talk I, about I, that, though. It's, it's interesting to me. Well, I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to talk to Ken Dryden about his last I don't know if it was a book, but it was an article he pr- printed in the Atlantic. And he just says, we got to have bigger nets for the NHL. For yeah, the goalies are I remember too good. That. He said, the combination of equipment and skill is stifling the game. And as we all know, when we're watching the playoffs, it frustrates you. You see a two on one and the two guys come in and then they go and hide behind the net and wait till all their teammates come in and screen the goalie. Cause that's the only way you're going to score. If you shoot dead on with the goalie, you're not going to beat them. And the equipment now is so, so receiving of the puck. You don't get a hard bounce off the chest or the leg pads like you used to. Uh, the, the only thing that really has a hard back, uh, uh, a hard surface, of course, is the, is the uh, paddle the, the, for, for the stick glove. Yeah. But other than that, they, they're able to do this. And, and the size of the guys, as you just said, six, seven, six, six, um, Mike, Mike Smith's a big guy, etc. I, I wrote a column too on my website on, on not the public broadcaster about at the trade deadline about the Leafs and the Oilers not being able to get that goalie for the playoff run, uh, being poised for a good playoff run, but not being able to get that goalie. Now, I don't know how people feel in Edmonton these days, whether they think that Mike Smith cost them anything. I, my own feeling is he didn't help them to win anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know whether you appointed him and say he lost it. Uh, same thing in Toronto. Jack Campbell played okay, but they couldn't get out of the first series. And uh, yeah. you've got to be serious about a goaltender and let, until they change the rules and make it easier to score. And, and again, Dryden's thing was only in the NHL make the nets bigger. He didn't want the kids' nets bigger, but only in the NHL make the bigger. Until you get the. I, I point to the goal that won the, the series for the Flames, the first series, is that Goudreau put it between uh, the, the goalie's ear, what's his name, Ottinger's ear and the goalpost, and it was the size of, like, the puck. He just barely fit it through. But that's how good the shooters have to be. Yeah. you got to go upstairs. Well, the, the you know, when you when you take a look at the situation with uh, goaltenders, it's if you just can't give guys that extra time. They talk about time and space. You've got to yep. take it away because you're right about the Johnny Goudreau overtime goal. You just gave him 
a split second too long, they'll find that spot, regardless yeah. of how big they are. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, but how many guys are there on every team that can do that? Every yeah. team has a couple. Yeah, yeah, and just to, to to sort of broaden the discussion we're having a little bit is that the game has never been better. The skill is so fantastic. The potential for hockey is so fantastic, and yet we're still sort of. And this is Dryden's point: we're stuck in this this sludge where we can't get through bodies. We can't see the the skill of the guys all that much. Now, what we saw this year in in Edmonton, and we saw it here in Calgary, was coaches stretching the ice, yeah. using 180 feet of the ice now for passing stuff to open it up, trying to open it up a little bit. But the potential is there for this game and it's not nothing is going to change until Gary Bettman says sayonara and we can get some leadership in the league that understand the potential that hockey has right now as an entertainment vehicle because because they're missing on an opportunity this stuff has been great we've seen some great games but putting the whistles away and and, and five men in the may, maybe what we need is what the NBA has where you can't you know three in the key at three seconds you have to move out of the key maybe we can't let guys just stand there for a whole 30 seconds to screen the goalie. Maybe you have to go in and out of the key or something, but we need leadership from somebody to realize the potential the game has. Yeah. Bruce, I want your perspective on something because there's been some chatter about it or some discussion about it. And not just here in Edmonton, um, Connor McDavid, you've been around long enough to have seen a lot of the players that get mentioned when there's a conversation about the greatest players of all time. Now, I'm not talking about team wins, Stanley Cups, because if you go by rings, Henry Richard is the best player who ever played the game. Because um, he's got Ian 11. Claude Provo, yeah. Ian yeah. Claude Provo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I've never seen a player with his combination of speed, uh, skill and all-around ability, and that goes for the guy that played here and set all the records. When you hear that, do you think that's crazy talk, or can you see something no. to that the longer we watch this guy wearing 97 here in Edmonton? I, I've always said that Bobby Orr is the greatest player ever because he could probably play forward the way Wayne played forward, but Wayne couldn't play defense the way Bobby played defense. Bobby could have done both. So, which is a, a long way of saying Bobby Orr to me is the most impactful player I've ever seen on, on a game. Now, relative the skill levels of all changed. So when I saw in particular, uh, we saw Connor through the whole Calgary series, that's what it reminded me of the extra gear, the ability to just basically wheel. I mean, the guys he's playing against, they're not chump change. They're good guys who can skate. It's fantastic. And and with all due respect to the guy in Colorado, he's he's the closest to Bobby Orr I've ever seen. Wayne played a different game, a more cerebral game, etc. But he he changes the game the way Bobby Orr did. And uh, you know, you, all we need now is for him to score a Stanley Cup winning goal, be th flying through the air with that famous <laughs> picture of Bobby against St. Louis. Yeah. That would that would be the, the the comparison I'd make. He's he just is fantastic. Re reads the ice, sees the ice, and has some toughness to him. He's he, and Bobby had toughness too, or had toughness too. Uh, you know, if you came too close to him, his team would beat you up. Uh, that was his, some of his toughness. But he could fight too, Bobby, if he had to. So for for young people who never saw Bobby or play, watch Connor, and that'll tell you what he was like. NHL's been given a gift this week. It's called the Avalanche and the Lightning in the Stanley Cup Final. I think this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. We'll see how hope the league so. screws it up. Hope I hope so. I mean, 
it all come down to what they decide to do with the referee. Yeah. And, uh, do they put the whistles away? Do they call penalties only in the first period? Do they call penalties in overtime? Uh, do they impede the skill players? Um, you know, that's, those are all the things we're not going to know until we see them. And, and just whether the goaltending for Colorado is good enough in this series, you're, you're in against, it's just uh, Tampa Bay right now is like the wily pitcher who has the, the you know, who has the, the change up yeah. and just when you're expecting the fastball, they throw the change up. So I, I'll be really interested to see uh, just the goaltending matchup. And then again, how the NHL handles it. And to kind well, of wrap things up, you're a big golfer. Uh, I, I know that uh, health-wise, your golf game slowed down a little bit, but you've got to be watching what's been going on with the PGA and the LIV tour. Yeah. What are your thoughts about all this? Because I'm kind of numb from it. I really, don't, I don't really know what to think yet. Well, I understand why the players are doing it, especially if you're a guy who's, I don't know, in, in, in your middle age, a Pat Perez kind of guy. There's lots of guys on the tour like that. And you're going, well, I'm never going to win a major. I'm, I'm going to finish, you know, in the middle of the pack. I got to pay my own expenses, et cetera. And I can go and play 54 holes, play eight events, just have to win one. And my year is made or my life is made. Yeah. That's got to be a temptation for them. And I understand the financial thing for them. Now we talked before we got started here about the stupidest quote we've ever heard an athlete make. And of course that was Phil Mickelson saying, yeah, you know, the Saudis, they cut off heads and throw gays off buildings. But I think this is a chance for us to transform the tour. I mean, the stupidest thing you could possibly say. And that's set back the LIV tour. The question is, Bryn, how much golf do we need? How much golf do we need to be satisfied? I don't know. That's, that's the question that will be answered. And how long do the Saudis want to go throwing money at this thing if it doesn't catch on? Is this the uh, Tiger's influence is still kind of there, but he obviously is on the backside of everything here. So what I'm starting to wonder, is this the evolution of the game? We had the evolution with Tiger and how much he was able to uh, kind of bring some profile to the game. I just, uh, I, I, like I said, I'm really kind of, I'm boggled by everything that's going yeah. on. I don't even know where to look. Yeah, well, if Tiger was still Tiger and playing on the PGA Tour, the Live Tour wouldn't stand a chance. Right. But we have so many really, really good players today. There isn't that one uh, boss cow. Uh, and so it's spread out over a little bit. And Dustin Johnson deciding to go, and DeChambeau deciding to go over there, shows that there are some guys who are still in their prime who 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 are going to go play with it. But this is all Tiger centric. If if he was healthy and ready to go, the PGA Tour wouldn't have any problems. And so what you're seeing is that. And Jay Monahan was on the broadcast yesterday from St. George's, where I had a chance to play a couple of times when I lived in Toronto. Fantastic track, old track, beautiful uh, track that was done by. Uh, uh, by Stanley Thompson. Uh, I digress. But anyhow, uh, th that uh, um, sort of lost my, my train of thought there. But just talking about uh, the, uh, the, the, oh, the, the Monaghan going on the broadcast. And yeah, he, uh, you know, he, he, he sounds like a guy positioning, uh, talking from a position of weakness. He, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get rid of them. They won't be able to play, et cetera. But he knows this is all be decided in the courts. He can say whatever he wants until it's litigated. Well, to me, and the litigation will will determine. This is the WHA of golf. Yeah. This, you know, let's rock the boat. We got some big names. We can go get them. We can we can offer Derek Sanderson more money than he would ever get in the National Hockey League, yeah. and we can pay this guy that much. But I suspect we won't see them around in five years, Bruce. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think they're trying to. I think that they're trying to, frankly, more more than than uh, uh, than anything else. I think they're trying to wipe out the European tour. 
which, by the way, is being run by a Canadian, Keith Pelly, who yes. is on TSN. Yeah. But I think that I think that's more maybe their 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 low hanging fruit. Think about the WHA too. Was um, there was a need for another league? First of all, for the players that weren't getting paid anything, but yeah. but we also needed to, a league that that emphasized skill and some things that the NHL wasn't doing anymore. Uh, for people who haven't seen the LIV, not only do you play for yourself, but you're also there's like in the 48 man field, there's four man teams, and yeah. and the the teams compete within the thing as well. So yet when Charles Schwartzel won four million dollars on Sunday, he was also on the winning team, and so he split three million dollars. So you know. You don't have to do have too many more Sundays like that till you can say, you know, uh, I'm doing okay. I don't need anybody else anymore. And so, uh, I, again, the team concept and some other things they worked on. Sometimes on the European tour, they do sixes. They do three sixes in a tournament just to break it up. And the PGA Tour has been self-satisfied. And I think I'd like to see them rattled a little bit. I like to see maybe a little bit more about match play and things like that. But yeah, I, I think there's a need for that. But how compelling a need, I can't say. You're looking good. You've uh, bounced back for some health issues here over the last little while. I think that's fantastic. And it's great to have you on. We appreciate your time today. I had a great time and great to see you two guys too. Oh, yeah. Here we are. We're into the summer months now. And I don't know if you're looking at buying or selling your home, but now's a great time to get a hold of Brent McIntosh and the entire team at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. You know, we got things off to a record-breaking start in 2022, which is no big surprise. And it's slowing down right now, which is also no big surprise. So now is a great time. If you're looking for a Hall of Fame experience to get a hold of Brent or any members of his team, they'd love to hear from you. Give them a shout. The phone number is 780-464-0075, or you can find them online at macintoshgroup.ca. Both buyers and sellers can contact the group. And, hey, listen, if you want to get a free evaluation, they'd be more than happy to help you out with that as well. But now is a good time because it's slowing down just a little bit, and it's the summer months, and everybody's chill out a little bit. So give them a shout. They'd love to hear from you. And one last thing, make sure you tell them the outsider sent you. So let's kind of wrap this one up. This is episode 111, Robin. Can you believe that? Indeed, I can. I try and track every one of them. Well, good. Then uh, then you get it, totally. Hey, uh, an announcement coming out on Thursday from FIFA on the host cities for the 2026 FIFA World Cup of Soccer. Of course, it's being co-hosted by the Americans, the Mexicans, and the Canadians. There were three cities in the mix in Canada. It was Toronto, Edmonton, and Vancouver. The announcement is to be... Uh, is one of the Canadian cities isn't going to make the grade. It's Edmonton. And uh, I have a few thoughts on that quickly before I get your thoughts. Uh, talking to a few people that I know that are connected with soccer and the Canadian Soccer Association. And yep. I want to ask them, so why is Edmonton being uh, basically glossed over here? Well, there's a couple of reasons. You have Vancouver and you've got Toronto. Big, big markets. Yep. It, it doesn't depend on fan support. I know that there are some people here who are going to say, well, we put 45, 50,000 into Commonwealth Stadium twice in minus four degree temperatures. That should mean something. No, it doesn't really mean very much at all. And that's because there were only going to be about 15 to 20,000 tickets available for the three or four games here anyway. Most of the people who are going to be attending the games in Edmonton would have been fans from other countries would have been coming here. So now there's going to be some issues with 
do we have enough flight connections into Edmonton? And the answer right now is no, we don't. You know, where you got to connect to get here. The city location, we're way up here in northern Canada. We're kind of away from things. That's a bit of a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the stadium was not up to FIFA standards. We'll get to that in a second because that, to me, is the biggest thing here. But there's a lot of issues. The other thing, too, the provincial government said that they would commit $110 million, not $50 million, $110 million to uh, put on this event in Edmonton. But they made some crazy, crazy demands on FIFA. Like, we need to see second-round matches in Edmonton. Nobody tells FIFA what to do. FIFA are like FIFA are the biggest sports organization on the planet, and the only other group that even comes close is the IOC. So I don't think that you can make demands of FIFA. And at the end of the day, it boils down to one thing. If you're going to showcase Canada, you're going to showcase Vancouver for sure. Beautiful city, yeah. big city. Uh, there's hotel rooms for everybody, and people will be coming in from all over. Same thing with Toronto. I, I'm not convinced that BMO Field is any better than Commonwealth Stadium in a lot of ways, but you can expand it. BC Place Stadium stands for itself. It's a it's a beautiful facility. However, I just think that it's going to be a bit of an ego blow for Edmonton from a sports perspective, and it really shouldn't be. This is the biggest event on the planet. I just think there's you get to a point where I don't think you can host anything bigger than this. Calgary is a is an Olympic city. It's a Winter Olympic city. The Winter Olympics are not the Summer Olympics. Calgary could not host the Summer, summer Olympics. A Calgary-Edmonton bid might get a look at if you worked on a few things. But to me, Edmonton is a great sports city, Robin. It's just not going to be a World Cup city. And I don't think people should take it personally. I'm going to miss the fact that there might have been some residue coming back to the city of Edmonton in terms of improving sports facilities, which you know kids could use. Uh, I just, there's a lot of negatives to it, but I think there's going to be some positives to it. And the other thing too, Commonwealth Stadium is getting toward the end. And I think a lot of us here don't want to recognize that. It's not McMahon Stadium, but it's Commonwealth Stadium. And you can only put so much lipstick on a pig. And this building was built in 1976 and 77 for the 78 Commonwealth Games. That was a long, long time ago. So I think we have to recognize that there's some issues and I don't think we should take it personally. That's just my opinion. Well, I'm with you on the building and we discussed this a little bit, Bryn. Um, You know, you can put in your LED stuff and you can change the seats and you can replace the turf, but the bones of the building are the bones of the building and where you've got room for suites and other uh, revenue generating things where your concession space uh, after a while, like I say, you can do all the updates on that old stucco bungalow that was built in 1969, if you want. Yeah. And you can add a fancier front porch to it and you can add a bigger back deck. It's still a bungalow built in 1969 with stucco underneath the new siding. And that's what Commonwealth Stadium has become. Uh, and it's not a knock. It's just the reality. It's, it's had the seating capacity. 
uh, that that's good for a lot of events for a long time. But now with what people want uh, out of the buildings they go to and with what you need as any kind of team or organization to generate revenue, Commonwealth Stadium's best days are not only behind it, but quite far behind it, to be honest. One other issue, too, there's the track. You're a long way away from the actual pitch. And I, I think that, uh, hey, it's there's one advantage that BMO does have over Edmonton. Yeah, you can both put grass pitches in. However, you're right on top of the play there. They'll expand BMO to seat 45,000. I'll bet you the big games are going to be played in Vancouver and should be in that stadium. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, there's been a lot said and written about uh, the, the quality of Edmonton as a sports town, and it's certainly there. But this is just, this is a monstrous event, and we're just not going to make the cut on that. And unless something dramatic happens with the Canadian Soccer Association this weekend, I don't see that happening from the people I talked to over the weekend. So there's that. Be ready for it, because it's coming. The other thing, too, I did not watch the Edmonton Elks open up the season in BC Play Stadium against the Lions, but I'm glad that I didn't. Uh, This is a work in progress, not only off the field, but on the field for the Edmonton franchise. My goodness, that was painful. We settled in here, Bryn. Uh, my wife and I, she loves watching the Canadian Football League with me. And we do the got our drink, got our easy chair, got our big screen. Yeah. And after that, it was like, what the hell are we watching here? The Eskimo or part. There I go. Okay, fine hold it. Hang me. on a second. Hang on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there I go. Yeah, that's the first one in a while, though. I know it is. I'll tell you, it looked like these guys had, well, it looked like in many cases they hadn't played football before, (laughs) but especially on defense. Um, Here's how you tackle. Here's how you wrap up the guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable how bad they were. And I tell you what, it would have been an ass kicking of historic proportions had the i mean the lions i don't know if it was score effects and they eased off a bit but i mean when you give up that many in the first half i remember tweeting uh oh they can get 60 in this if they don't if they want to and if they don't back off and yeah and guys were saying well actually you know they're on pace for 84 and i knew that wasn't going to happen but it was terrible it was bad enough in the first half that it really didn't matter in the second half and there's a lot of work to do and i know the guy running the show now there's a lot of people that have faith in what jones can do and and with good reason um and and the season is not determined in one game we all know that but man it wasn't they got beat every which way you could choose to measure a ball game by and they were they were terrible in virtually every category as well this is like how much time do we have to rejig after this because they were awful awful the other thing too it doesn't help to have that before your home opener and a lot of people are going to judge how victor qui has done as president over the last six months, there's been a lot of positivity out there. So I guess we'll see how many people show up for the home opener coming up this weekend. So there's that. I made the smart decision, actually, on Saturday night. I didn't stay home and watch it at all. I decided to take in game number five of the Western Hockey League Championship Series at Rogers Place. They had over 11,000 fans for the game, which was fantastic. Great yeah. atmosphere. There's just one problem. Seattle is really good, too. 
not just the Edmonton Oil Kings. The one thing that really kind of surprised me, and it shouldn't surprise a guy who's been watching the Western Hockey League for so many years, these two teams are good. These two teams yeah. pass the puck exceptionally well. These two teams finish their checks. These two teams have great goaltending, great defense, great skill up front. It was just a fantastic game. Seattle, who were trailing in the series three games to one, battled back to make it 3-2 going into tonight at the time of this recording, the uh, game six. And I have no doubt it'll be another classic game. Whoever's moving on to the Memorial Cup out of this series, I would have to think it would favor still the Edmonton Oil Kings, but they're going to be tough to beat at the Memorial Cup. But the hockey was just great. Can't say enough about it. And you and I, like you said, Bryn, we've seen enough of it. And I think, I tell you what, I think it was an Edmonton kid who scored the winning goal for the Thunderbirds uh, in that game. And that's not rare. If you go look around the Western Hockey League yeah. and you're going to find a lot of Edmonton and even more Alberta. Um, you know what? I haven't seen a Western Hockey League game in a while. And when you talked about that, I thought, you know, I've left it a bit too long this year, but I got to get my ass out to another one of these games because it's awful good hockey. And it doesn't matter what the crowd count is. It's nice to see them get some people out. I could sit there in a building with 800 people there and enjoy it because that's where the guys that we see tomorrow on the yes. Oilers roster on pick, pick the roster of your favorite team. It, it's a little bit like triple a baseball for me, you know, see tomorrow's stars today. And uh, it's awful good hockey. I, I can't make game six. If it goes to game seven, I'm definitely going. Cause it was well worth the money I spent to uh, attend the game. And yes, I sat in the seats and yes, I paid for my tickets and it was worth <laughs> yeah. it. The one thing that I, I all the way through the game that it just kept standing out to me was I'm watching Seattle. And I thought to myself, Man, are those guys big. And I watched the Edmonton Oil Kings. Man, are those guys fast. It was speed against size. Not to say that there's not some size on the Edmonton team and not to say that there isn't some speed on the Seattle team. I just think it's a great matchup. Very much the way I see the Avalanche and the Lightning fighting it out for the Stanley Cup. I'm looking forward to watching this Cup final as well because I think it's going to be great. Now, this didn't happen, so don't take people, please don't take me literally here. Every time I see big Sebastian Cosa yeah. in the Oil Kings oh, yeah. net, yeah. I imagine Ken Holland knocking oh. his head off the table at the drama. Yep. <laughs> because he's good. He was here in the backyard, and I was told by people I trust that they really wanted yes, that. Yes, they kid. did. I, I've been uh, told the exact same thing. So, uh, yeah, they, Stevie <laughs> Y moved in and cut in. On that, yeah. but he's he's a talent. Both both netminders are very very talented. Uh, Avalanche and Lightning. Who do you like? You know what? I like the Lightning. It goes against the odds. Yeah. Um, I'm not so well. The, the, yeah. Here I go waffling now. That's no, all right. I, I I I like the Lightning. I think the the pause is this. Color the edge I see is in goal because Frank Francouz or Francouz, however you say it, or Darcy Kemper, if he's ready to go, they don't stack up to the lightning goaltending. But the problem is Colorado's talented enough to outscore their mistakes and yes. bad goaltending. But that said, I'm going lightning. Let's go for three. And I have a feeling that I think it's amazing that uh, that the well, the Avalanche deserve to be there. They had a great season. They had a great playoff run, and they deserve to be representing the West. And as for Tampa, who got off to such a sluggish start against Toronto but kind of found their game 
and their goaltending is so fantastic. Uh, they, they are one series victory away from being a dynasty, from being able to use the dynastic term. We haven't had yep. that in a very, very long time here. So there's a lot of strong pull to select Tampa. I just have a feeling, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Colorado can find a way to score when they want to score, and they can, they can play a big physical game if they have to, and they can also play a freewheeling game if they have to. And I, I, I told you when we were took, taking a good close look at the Oilers series against the Avalanche that Kale McCarr was going to be the difference. I think if they can't find a way, Tampa, to uh, shut down the Kale McCarr show, it's going to be an Avalanche victory. And uh, I got suckered into picking Edmonton in the last one. I, I guess I got too caught up in the emotion in the town, but I'm not going to do it here. I'm actually going to take the Avalanche to win. So we'll see. Okay, that's it. We got to get out of here. Thank you. Episode 111. Robin, we'll talk to you next week. Sure will. Bye bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Road 55.